0: Pray together. Father, we are more dependent upon you than we know. For life, for breath. Father, all that we have comes from you. And uh, you are a God who freely gives. Father, I pray that you would help us to be a people who are eternally grateful for the infinite uh, amount that you have given to us. So even now, Father, as we consider the passage before us, as we consider uh, Jesus' words and we consider the crowd and their questions, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see Christ more clearly so that we might rejoice in him more fully. Father, he is indeed truly amazing, truly beautiful. Thank you, Father, for your mercy in our lives. Thank you for your grace. I pray, Lord, once again, for the words of my mouth, uh, that they would be your words. And Father, if there are any error, I pray that you would correct them in the air, so that that what is remembered uh, would be what you desire for to be remembered uh, of our congregation. I pray that you would feed us through your word as it's preached. We know, Father, that this is your work, not, not the preacher's work, but it's your work. So, Father, we ask by your Spirit that you would accomplish it, for the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, the passage in Isaiah, right, uh, probably sounds very attractive to us as prices of food have gone up, right? Come, everyone who thirsts, come uh, to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and labor for that which is, does not satisfy? I wonder, and we'll look at it in a little bit, I, I wonder, and I, some of the scholars have, have wondered, uh, if that might have been the passage that was read before Jesus uh, was in the synagogue and he delivers much of the address that we're going to look at this morning. But before we get there, we're confronted with uh, this idea of hunger and a hungry crowd. Right? from, Think of our own hunger, right? From the very first moments of our lives, we know what hunger is like, right? Babies cry because they're hungry. Parents tend to know if it's pain or if it's hungry. We won't ask Ashlyn, right, what it is right now. But as we grow older, we continue... Sorry for calling you out there, Ashlyn... I realized that was probably not very cool. Um, as we grow older, we continue to experience hunger. Right? It, it's, it's not something that we ever outgrow. right? But we do learn to feed our hunger, don't we? we? We learn how to anticipate it to avoid the feelings and ill effects of our hunger. So that some of us won't become hangry, as uh, happens in some households. But our hunger then also, we have to think about, is not just simply limited to food, uh, is it? As human beings, we are constantly hungry. Our appetites for many different things are are constantly being triggered, right? It It might be food or attention. It might be adventure, right? Hunger for adventure or excitement, comfort, quiet, relaxation. Might be hungry for security, Right. Entertainment, sex, or sports, or alcohol. Like the list goes on and on of all the things that we might hunger for, that we might long for. As human beings, we want to be filled up until we are satisfied. But it seems that ultimately, no matter where we turn, no matter how hard we try, outside of Christ, those appetites are never fully satisfied. So what are we to do with that hunger? Well, ultimately, that hunger ought to lead us to God. God placed that longing inside each of us that he, uh, and he's the only one who will meet uh, and and fulfill that longing uh, in us. God sent Jesus Christ, as we're gonna see in our text, the true bread of life, why? So that we might be saved. Ultimately so that we might be saved But also that we might be filled up and satisfied We might be filled up and satisfied As we walk through the text this morning um, I I want us to see a progression uh, As we go through the text Of of hunger We see hunger We see nourishment And we ultimately see everlasting life Let's look at the, the text together uh, and I'll stop us as we go. But if you open up to John chapter 6, starting with verse 22, we see, "...on the next day the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that, the, that his disciples had gone away. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks." So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. If you remember, uh, from just a few months ago, we looked at the passage right before this, where Jesus fed the multitude. It's the feeding of the 5,000, but there were many more people than 5,000, right? There are 5,000 men, but there were also women and children, and so it may have been triple that number. We're not totally sure. But what had happened was that right, Jesus saw this crowd approaching. And so what did he do? Right, he had pity on them. And he gave his disciples a test. How will we feed them? Or at least he said, how will you feed them? He said, there's not enough money here to provide. And so Jesus showed them that, that he indeed could provide for them. They sat down. He uh, blessed the bread and distributed it. And there was enough, the text tells us, so that they had eaten their fill of the bread we then went on to see that uh, it wasn't just the feeding of the 5,000 that happened. Jesus sent his disciples off as, uh, as the crowd was still there. They went off in a boat, and then uh, Jesus went to be by himself. And as night fell, the disciples found themselves in the midst of a storm. The, the wind was blowing toward them. It was all they could do to get across uh, the Sea of Galilee. And what did Jesus do? Well, he walked out. Jesus walked on the water to the boat and he comforted them. They were astonished. Right? This was an amazing miracle, one that, that I think all of us know from uh, whether our childhood or from reading the scriptures ourselves, but it's one that sticks in our mind. Jesus walking on water. Now, that's a, a display of, of his deity. But the crowd didn't know that. That all happened under the cover of night. The only people who knew about Jesus walking on the water were the disciples. So now the crowd wakes up. The disciples are gone. They saw them leave, and they're looking around for Jesus. There are no other boats. What do they do? They keep looking and looking. He's not there. And so other boats come, they decide to go, they they want to find Jesus, they're eager. This is a crowd who is hungry for more. They want more of everything that Jesus has. Right? And so we see them seeking Jesus. Uh, they, uh, they seek him out because of all that they have seen on the previous day. And they find him. Ultimately, they find him on the other side of, of uh, the sea. And verse 25 says that when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, but which means teacher, it's a sign of respect. Rabbi, when did you come here? In other words, how long have you been here? Right? We, we just saw you last, yesterday. How, how long have you been over here? They call him rabbi. But what we're going to see is their motives were really mixed. Right? They were not truly committed to him being their teacher. We actually know from the previous passage that they had wanted to make him their king. We also see in this passage, they really weren't ready to submit to his rulership either. They clamored over him as king, but they, they, didn't, they didn't want to submit. They didn't really understand the nature of his reign. Right? They called him rabbi, but they were, they were questioning his teaching. And so Jesus then answers them, right? and his answer is not really an answer to their question. It's really a reproof, he, a reproof. He, he questions their motives. He tells them that they're not right. In verse 26, uh, we read that Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Jesus doesn't answer their question and really, if, if, they, if he'd asked, answered the question, if he'd told them, I, well, I just walked across the sea, they probably would have been pretty impressed. Right? They probably would have, all right, let's make this guy king. But as we will see here and, and elsewhere in John's gospel, that mere miracles, right? Miracles alone do not lead to saving faith. Instead, Jesus questions their motives. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. That phrase, truly, truly, it's only found in the Gospel of John. And really, if you were to translate it, right in the Greek, it says, amen, amen. Right? That word amen comes from there. And uh, as one commentator pointed out, that, that the word amen is actually taken from the Hebrew. And it's, it's a, the word amen comes from a root... uh, denoting certainty, steadfastness. And so Jesus uses it before an utterance, especially in John, to confirm and emphasize the trustworthiness and importance of what he's about to say. Truly, truly, I tell you, following me because you ate your fill of the loaves. Your appetite was filled, right? They were driven by their desire, their appetite. They wanted Jesus to meet their expectations and to fulfill their desires. Right? They had witnessed the sign. Right? See, right? You're not falling because you saw the sign. Well, they did see the sign, but they didn't see the significance. Right? They witnessed the loaves and the fishes. They had eaten until they were full, but they had failed to see the importance of it. They had seen Jesus' power, but had not seen Uh, Who he was, right? And so this crowd, I think they anticipated uh, enthusiastically um, that Jesus was an amazing guy, right? That they knew uh, that they had benefited from this miracle, but then they completely missed the point. And I don't think we should be. uh, I don't think this should come as uh, a surprise to us. It should not be unexpected, right? One of the things I think um, that we need to think about is. Our own story, right? Think about when you first heard the gospel. Now, if you heard the gospel all growing up, you may not be able to relate to this. But if there ever was a time where you did not know Christ, and that when you heard the gospel, it was new news to you, good news to you, you may be able to think back. that All your theology wasn't quite on at that point. In fact, we met, Brent and I met with a couple this last so I think a week ago, and we talked about how nobody has right theology, right? No, nobody in our church has right theology, right? We're all in process of learning more about who Christ is. And so right, it shouldn't be uh, unexpected that Jesus here, he ministers to all of these, what we would call unbelievers, right? People who, who don't know who he is, who don't know his deity. He feeds them, and they don't see the significance of it. For that matter, the disciples hadn't seen the significance of it either. But I think what we need to also consider is when we're interacting with people who don't know Christ, we need to expect that they may not have all the answers right. Their theology may not be great. Maybe they're a new Christian, and maybe they haven't figured it all out yet. One of our core values, core value number five, uh, says that we believe that God aims to use our church to bring some of his lost sheep in Rock County into his fold through proclaiming the gospel to those currently outside the church. When we take the gospel outside the church to people who are unchurched, who don't know Jesus, especially if they they respond and come into our church, we're going to have people who don't know all the right theology. And so then we have core value six which says that we believe that coming to faith in Christ and growing in faith is a process. Therefore, our church will be a place where people are warmly accepted and helped no matter where they are in the process. And so I want to say two things with this, right? Wherever you are in your process of faith, right? Whether you, you're just here and you don't even know Christ, you don't know the gospel, or you're somewhere, you're a mature believer, or you're somewhere in the middle, right? We, you're welcome here. We want to warmly embrace you and the journey that God has for you. We don't expect you to have to know all of the right theology or agree with everything that's taught. We do want you to agree with the gospel, but, but we need to, to accept, we do accept you, right? And then secondarily, right? all of us need to accept one another where we're at in the gospel, in our Christian walk, right? We shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't uh, chastise people because they don't know as much as we do. But we should help move them into greater maturity. Well, we see a hunger, right, in, in these people. They're seeking Jesus. They find him. They ask the wrong question. He doesn't answer, but he questions their motives. But then, what does Jesus point them to? He points them to true food. Not just food that, that he gets to once. They, they, not the food of yesterday, but true food, and that that true food is actually Jesus himself. Look at verse 27. He says, Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father has set his seal. And they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. So they said to him, What sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What, What work will you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it's written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said to him, Give us this bread always. Jesus points to true food. Now, I told you that we would accept you no matter where you are in your Christian walk, but it doesn't mean that we won't help you to understand if there's error in your theology. And that's the first place that Jesus goes to. He helps correct their error. Um, Do not work for food that perishes. Do not spend your life, uh, as one translation would say, on food that spoils Jesus is, what he's doing here, I think, is he's challenging their purely materialistic view of the kingdom. Right? Think about the Samaritan woman from, from John chapter uh, 4. Right? The, the woman at the well, she had come in the middle of the heat of the day. She'd drawn her water. When Jesus told him that, the living, that, he, that he could give her the living water that would, that would provide for her, unlike the water that she drew from the well, She said that she wanted that water so that she would no longer have to make so many frequent trips to the well. In John 3, 14, 15, Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks this water from the well will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and have to come to draw water here again. It's really kind of a, a parallel, right? The crowd says, give us this bread. This sounds good, right? The bread you gave us yesterday was great. We got full, but this sounds like it's even better bread from heaven. Sign us up for that. Remember that they wanted to make Jesus their king, right? And consider why did they want to make Jesus their king? Because he met their needs. He filled their appetite, right? But also, if you think about it, at that time, there was more to it than that. They were probably looking for a rescue, protection, security from the oppressive Roman government. They wanted to live under a king who would meet their needs, who would advance their agenda, and who knows, maybe even increase their personal wealth, right? If they didn't have to spend their money on food every day, maybe they could spend it elsewhere. And I want to say that none of those things are bad, right? Those are not bad things. But all of those things are temporary. It's not as though those things are unimportant, but they will, they're not the food that will ultimately nourish souls. And it's the same for us today. They will not ultimately nourish our soul, right? They should Right? These things, uh, so, right, whether it's security, all those things that we feel, um, they won't nourish us. Right? They should never be the most important thing that we're living for. And so I want you to think for a second. Right When, when you are feeling tired or overwhelmed uh, with your work or school or parenting, where do you turn for relief? Where do you turn for nourishment? What do you turn for escape, right? Do you mindlessly turn to your phone or your computer or the TV to provide you with escape from reality or reassurance, right, that you're you're current on all the day's news and trends, right? And it's kind of similar, right? What Jesus is saying, these are temporary fixes, right? They're, They're like food that spoils. And we know it's true. Like, think about news, right? You watch the news, how long is that current for? not very long. And so what Jesus is doing is he's calling us to stop working for, stop living for, stop living our lives for the pursuit of that food that spoils. It's not that we shouldn't be concerned about those things, but that's not what we should be living for. The only true nourishment that en- uh, only true nourishment endures to eternal life is the spiritual food that Jesus gives to us by his grace. God the Father has set his seal on Jesus to show that he alone is the one that God has authorized to truly nourish our souls, to truly give us what would fill us. And so the crowd asks, right, what must we do to be doing the works of God? In other words, what does God require? Sounds a little bit like our catechism question today, right? What must we do to be doing the works of God? What do we see in their question? Well, we kind of see that they missed the point. Right? They, they focused in. They latched on this whole idea of work. Jesus wasn't saying that they needed to do different work. It's not like we want you to work over here instead of over there. What Jesus was saying was, you need to stop living for uh, food that spoils, for that, that temporary work. Their answer also seems to indicate that they believed that they only lacked the knowledge Tell us what what to do, and we will do it. We will will do whatever we need to uh, to to please God, to do God's work. But in Jesus' answer, he tells us in verse 29, the work that God requires. The work that God requires is that, what? It's the gospel, that, that you believe in him who he has sent, right? In other words, Believe in Jesus, who the Father has sent into the world. Jesus' answer is, is faith. Right? Romans 3.28 tells us, For we hold that one is justified by faith, apart from the works of the law. So Jesus isn't introducing another law, another thing to do. He's saying that what is required is trusting in Jesus. It's, it's that easy. How will we know? Right? That, really, that's the next question they ask. How will we know? Verses 30 and 31. So they said to him, right, then what sign will you do that we may see and believe you? What, what work do you perform? And they, they point immediately to the manna. Right? Well, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness as it was written. He gave them bread to eat. From heaven. Right. They're pointing to Moses, right? Moses gave us bread, like our father's bread, like every single day. You just kind of did it once, right? Moses, he, that was like the whole nation of Israel. There were just like, what, a couple, five, ten thousand of us? It was, big. it was nice, but it was, you know, Moses. It's a little bit of that. I, I wonder if there's a little bit of that in there. In other words, Jesus, what will you do to show us that we should listen to you? So how do we understand that question, right? The initial question I had was, wasn't the feeding of the 5,000 enough? That was pretty amazing. Wasn't that enough of a sign to convince the crowd? That was a question I had. But then as I studied and thought through this, right, the feeding of the 5,000 was impressive enough To get the the crowd to follow Jesus across the Sea of Galilee. So so it's not that they weren't impressed. But it was that the claims that Jesus made were now even that he was greater than Moses. So they should expect something greater than Moses. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it's written. and He gave them bread to eat from heaven. Wait, it actually may have been because of the feeding of the 5,000 that they can felt compelled to ask for another sign. Right? If Jesus was superior, he should do more. But Jesus' answer, I, I love Jesus' answer. Well, I mean, I really love everything that Jesus says, right? But, but it's, it really touches on they're not reading their text right. right? They're not reading their Bibles right. Right? Jesus responds by correcting their wrong biblical understanding, but he doesn't like chastise them, but he does correct their wrong biblical understanding. He, says, "It wasn't Moses who gave you the food. It was God." Right? See, their, their reading of Scripture was too man-oriented, too man-centered. They were seeing everything from a human perspective. They gave Moses too much focus and did not give God enough. I think it's a temptation that we face every time, for us, that we're without a senior pastor. Right? How will we be spiritually fed? Right? Without, without, whether it was Pastor John or Pastor Aaron or now Pastor Ken, how are we supposed to be fed? What are we going to do? Well, the answer, ultimately, is that God provides spiritual nourishment to his people. It's true, right, that God does use these men. He has used these men. But ultimately, it is God who cares for and feeds his people. The same God who fed Israel in the wilderness is the same God who fed the 5,000. The same God who has fed our church over all of these years is the same God who will continue to feed us until these doors close or until Christ comes back. And it's given to us by grace. Right? He says that the Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Notice that Jesus shifts here. Right? He, he has been talking in the past tense and then he shifts to the present tense. Right? Look at 32 again. right? The, uh, let me get to the, the right. Here we go. Uh, right, so, so Jesus... Let me find where I'm at here. He says, It was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. He moves it into the present. Right? God is active. Right? In them, God is active now. Not only does he move their focus from Moses to the Father, right? but he also moves their focus from the manna that God gave to them to Israel, to their fathers in the wilderness, to what God was giving them right then and there. So the bread of God is Jesus himself who came down from heaven, right? He gives life not only to Israel, but he says now to all who believe, all who believe in Jesus. He gives life to the world. It echoes back to what John said in, in chapter one, to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. who are are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He's talking about a new birth here. He's talking about a new life found in Christ, not just for Israel, but for all who believe. Well, Jesus is expanding the gospel. Uh, He's pointing forward to, to what will be accomplished after his death and resurrection, what he is purchasing he's pointing them to what would be ultimately not just a nation but the world of believers so then they make a request they don't they still they don't get it right they say give us this bread always once again they kind of got it they kind of didn't get it right give us this bread always in other words you could translate that word give us this bread from now on Right. You gave us that bread yesterday. That was really good. But now, feed us this new bread from heaven every day. That will be awesome. We'll take it. Thank you. Sign us up. They didn't understand. They didn't need this bread day after day. Right? They hungered for more. Right, they, they saw what Jesus did. They hungered for more. Jesus showed them that there was nourishment, and now he's about to show them eternal life. Verse 35, Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you've seen me and yet you do not believe. Once again, Jesus is not afraid to to point out their unbelief. And even that is a mercy. I'll come back to that in, in just a moment. But he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out for I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. The first thing we, we think about is, if you're a believer, You're going to be raised on the last day. That's that's the last thing that Jesus says, but he says it more than once. Everlasting life comes from Jesus, right, who is indeed the bread of life. He tells them directly, right, I I am the bread of life, right? Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is the, the first of actually seven I am statements that John records where Jesus explicitly uses God's self-revealed name, I am, to identify himself. Now, I said last time that that there were others that he kind of alluded to, but this is very explicit, right? The the word order in, in the original language is such that this is, I am, I am God, right? I am the bread of life. Right Up to now, the crowd had only seen Jesus as a powerful man, a potential king. They didn't see him as the son of God who speaks God's words perfectly and communicates God's will to them perfectly. One commentator said, the crowd has only seen bread and power, not what they signify. This crowd has witnessed the divine healer at work But only their curiosity, appetites, and political ambitions have been aroused, not their faith. That's why he says in verse 36 But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. Why do I say that this is a mercy that God pointed out their unbelief? Because if they thought they were believers and they weren't, what would that mean? It would mean separation from God. It would mean hell. The same thing is true for us today, right? As, as we are sharing the gospel with others, right? As, as we're bringing them life, right? it's okay to, especially if they're, they're among us to, and they, they aren't believers, to acknowledge that. That's okay if we're leading them to Christ, right? If we're pointing to Christ, if it's just condemnation, Right? You're not a believer. Get out of here. We don't, we don't want you. That's not what Jesus does. Right? As he's embracing them, as he's bringing them forward, he's saying, just so you know, right, you don't get it yet. I want you to get it. And so I'm going to keep telling you more and more about, about this. In fact, the passage, I kind of cheated a little bit here. don't have time to preach the whole thing. Probably running out of time already. But there's so much more here and then in the rest of the passage. We'll pick that up at a later time. But I do do want to say a few more things about what we find here. Jesus is merciful enough to point out their unbelief so that they could face that and repent and believe. If you don't know you need faith to believe, you're not going to look to faith to believe. If you think you need to earn salvation, you're going to miss the boat. Here Jesus tells them over and over, gently, patiently, what it means to be a Christian. What's required of them, which is faith in Him. As we look through the rest of this passage, I just want to point out some things that are true about the Christian from what Jesus has said. Right? Once again, there's not time to go through everything, and I'm going to revisit this sermon whenever I get to preach again. Right. But some of the things that are true about you if you are a Christian is that you were given to Jesus by the Father. You didn't just happen into faith. You weren't just smart enough to believe and therefore be saved. No, the Father gave you to the Son. You're held secure by the will of the Father. He says that in verse 39. A Christian is someone who has come to Jesus has looked on Jesus and has believed in him. Believed in him for what? For, for salvation. What does that mean? It means an acknowledgement of who God is, that we're fallen, right? that we're sinful, that, that we don't deserve a right to, be, to, to ever stand before him. And yet Jesus, in our place, has taken on that which he didn't deserve to take on, right? He, he took on humanity so that he could be like us so that he could sin? No. He lived his whole life without sin so that he could take on our sin and pay for that on the cross. Jesus says, right, that that whoever comes to him should not hunger. Whoever believes in him should never thirst. What did it cost Jesus to, to, to bring that about? Well, just as we sang, I, seriously, I would have thought that those songs were picked up for this passage. It made me wonder if Ken knew and just didn't tell me, but told you guys. Right? No, but he came down. He took on humanity. He faced hunger. He faced thirst so that we would not have to. I mean, it's not that we're never hungry. It's not that we're never never thirsty. But at the very core of our beings, if we are in Christ, that true hunger, that true thirst has been satisfied and will ultimately one day be fully satisfied. Jesus promises that he will never cast you out. You shall never hunger or thirst. That you shall have eternal life. And that on the last day you'll be raised from the dead. These are amazing truths that Christ purchased. And who does he bring this to? He brings it to a crowd that can't seem to get it right. He doesn't wait until they have everything all together to present them with this beautiful message. He brings it to people who don't fully understand. He brings it to people who can't quite figure it out. And isn't that us? That God brings the message of hope to us. Not because we've got it all figured out, but because we don't. Praise be to God that he has given us Christ, the true bread of life, so that we might believe and be saved. Right? He gives us a hunger for him. He tells us about what true food is and what we ought to avoid. And through Christ, he gives us everlasting light. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the words of Christ. We thank you that this life everlasting is given to us not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done. Once again, help us to see Christ as as magnificent, as glorious, as beautiful, as one who gave up everything so that we might be with him. Father, we thank you for your work in our lives. And I pray, Father, that we would have a warm heart to those who don't know you, that you would give us a passion uh, that those who are are, uh, in our lives, uh, whether they be in our families or whether they be uh, in our community, whether it be in our work or our school, wherever we go, as we go, Father, and as we see that hunger in others, that we would desire to show them the true bread of life, so that those around us, that they might not hunger or thirst. Father, I pray that we would be so overjoyed with Christ that we we couldn't not tell others about him, that we would be so taken up with his glory and excellency that it would be our true, uh, it truly would be what we would uh, fill our appetites with. So, Father, help us Mercy on us. We thank you. Jesus' name. Amen.